In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14, the apostle says that we're called by the gospel. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, he states that we're called into fellowship by the gospel. Now John in the epistle of John begins the uh, text by talking about the fact that Jesus has been revealed, that he as God has come to the world and we've touched him, we've talked to him, we've uh, walked with him and uh, we know fully who he is and we have a special fellowship with God and with Christ. And he says, we want, we want you, we remind you of these things, we write these things to you because we want you also to have this same fellowship. We've been called into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called into fellowship with God the Father. All the way back to the beginning, this uh, fellowship was broken by sin. And because of sin, a man being separated from God was in need of a Savior. Jesus came, and through the apostles' words, through the words of the apostles, we can find the way that leads us back into fellowship. John clearly tells us in 1 John chapter 1 that uh, it's through the light of his word that we have fellowship as long as we remain in the light. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean in that passage that uh, a person makes every step in the light, but he, he's teaching us the importance of, of having uh, the right attitude of walking in the right way of walking in the light. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, John says, If we walk in the light, even as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Jesus was the true light. Jesus came with the Word. And through that Word, we can have that light today. And we do have that light, as long as we remain within the confines of that light. Now, Notice that he says that our fellowship with God is dependent upon the fact that we walk in the light. Now I want to illustrate that. When I was a little boy about the size of uh, little Caleb who was here this morning, Hannah's oldest son, my grandpa took me to some railroad tracks. And uh, he was about uh, 49 or so at that time. And uh, he took me to the railroad track a couple of blocks from our house and, and he got up on the rail and he just started walking. Since he's a little boy in Arkansas, he had uh, walked the rail. Now, I don't know if he had this in mind or not, but he taught me a great lesson. And, of course, when I took my first step, I could hardly take a step without falling. I could hardly uh, walk one step after another without falling off of the rail. But he would encourage me, and he put me back on the rail, and I kept walking, and I kept practicing. He said, when I go away, I'm going to be back in a month or so, and every chance you get, you practice. And so I practiced. Well, pretty soon, uh, because I was determined to walk the rail, I could walk a few steps without falling. Well, that's a little bit like Christianity. You see, when you start, you're a baby. That's why Jesus says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. When you start, you don't know anything. When you start, you can't walk in the light, hardly. But you're determined and you uh, uh, have a mindset to be the kind of person God wants you to be. And so you get back in the light. Every time you fall, you get back in the light because you're determined to stay there. You're determined to be the kind of person that God wants you to be. But you know what I learned? After I learned to walk pretty well, I learned that, that there were always distractions. 
You know, sometimes uh, these tracks that I walked on went from the east to the west. And on the north side of the track, there were some tall cottonwood trees. And in the top of those trees were some uh, red-tailed hawks. Sometimes uh, as I would walk along, one of those red-tailed hawks would swoop down to uh, get a squirrel, and the shadow would startle me, and I'd fall. Or sometimes uh, I would be at a certain place, and, and uh, there was a stop sign on the road, and a car would come screeching up to the stop sign, and it would startle me, and I would fall. Sometimes uh, we lived in a small town, and everybody knew each other. At the distance, somebody would say, Dwayne, Dwayne, and I'd turn around and I'd fall. Now that again is a little bit like Christianity. No matter how long you live it, no matter what you do, there's always going to be some distractions. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 that the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. In the 2 Thessalonian letter, or 2 Corinthian letter, the apostle says that Satan is like a serpent. He's deceptive. And so he's always looking for ways to cause us to fall. But you see, the difference between the person who fails and the person who is successful is the person who gets up one more time than he falls. You see, the difference between success and failure is not your education. It's not from which side of the tracks that you were born. Now, we want to blame those things. And we want to bring those things into vogue. It's not because you're a man or you're a woman. It's not because of your job or your social status. It's because you just get up one more time than you fall. That's the difference. I'm telling you today... That whoever you are, you can live for Jesus. And you can be the kind of person that you ought to be. Get up. Get up one more time and give it a little more effort. You'll be amazed at how successful you can be. That's the key. That's the difference between failure and success. Clearly, in this passage... John is teaching us a lifestyle. He's teaching us a way of life. We've been called to fellowship with God. Think about that. We've been called into fellowship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he wants us to be in fellowship with him. He made us in his likeness. He made us in his image. And he wants us to be like him. And it's up to you. He has designed a means. He's designed a way that you can be successful. He wants you to be successful. You know, there's an interesting passage over there in 2 Peter. Uh, all of us are familiar with this passage. This is where uh, Peter is talking about what we sometimes call the Christian graces. And he says, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's some interesting passages at the conclusion, some interesting verses at the conclusion of what he says about the Christian graces. Look at this, or listen to this. Now, uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, about verse 10, I believe it is. 
The writer says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Listen now. For so an entrance shall be administered unto you abundantly. Now listen to me. You're not going to make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth. It's not going to be something that happens by accident. You have to make up your mind. You have to decide, I'm going. Now, you can't earn your salvation. And there's nothing you can do that will cause you to deserve it. But when you make up your mind, God will provide a way for you to get through and to do what he wants you to do. His plan is simple, too simple for some. In fact, it's a plan that everybody can submit to. Everyone can obey. Notice, he says, Wherefore an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes I hear people quote from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, and, uh, or not 1 Peter 4, verse 11, but uh, I better look at it because I think it's 4, 17 and 18. Let's see here. Yeah. Where Peter says that judgment's going to begin at the house of God, and it says that the righteous scarcely be saved. And uh, then they'll, then it, you know, sort of goes to something like this. You know, it's real hard to get to heaven. In fact, it's impossible for some, and, and we'll be lucky if we get there. And, you know, that's a contradiction to what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1 if he's talking about judgment. If he's talking about our eternal home. Now, it's clear in 2 Peter chapter 1 that he's talking about the eternal kingdom. He says, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ over there in 2 Peter chapter 2. The eternal kingdom. So now, if in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, he's talking about the same thing, it don't fit. Now, in the preceding verse, I believe it's verse 7, Peter says the end is near. You see, that tells us what he's talking about in verse 17 and 18. He's not talking about the day of judgment in verse 17 and 18 because it's been 2,000 years since he said that, and the judgment hasn't come. Now, we've been preaching to premillennialists for years that when John the Baptist said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it had to come in that generation. So the point is, it has, something, it has reference to something else. And the reference to that something else is the destruction of Jerusalem. He says the righteous shall scarcely be saved. Now why? Because they're going to be righteous people in Jerusalem when Titus comes with that army. And then all of a sudden, they're going to withdraw. The Jews are going to think, that this is an omen from God telling us to hold out and we'll be victorious. But those who listen to Jesus are going to flee the mountains. Remember, that's what Jesus said. When you see the armies encompassing Jerusalem, flee to the mountains. The righteous were scarcely saved. The judgment was right upon them. But they were allowed to escape. And... History bears record that no Christian suffered in the destruction of Jerusalem death for they left when Jesus told them to leave. 
Well, the point is, all the things that we've been talking about this week, if we want to be saved eternally, we have to make up our minds that we're going to be saved. We've got to make up our minds to center our eyes on the mark. We've got to walk in the light. We've got to determine that we're going to remain in the light. Sometimes we may sin. Sometimes we may fall. But we must get back up and get back in the light and press forward, press on. Now, let's go back to 1 John and look at this a little more carefully. Notice what John says at verse 7. We've already quoted that, but I want to read that again. It says, But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. All of us are sinners. I don't know why some people have such a difficulty with admitting that. I remember when I was growing up sometimes, people left the impression that they were sinless. I don't know, I guess they wanted people to think highly of them. I don't know what the reason was. But John clearly says if we claim that sin never bothers us, that we're lying. He tells us clearly that if we claim we're per perfect in the sense of being flawless, that we're wrong. But on the other hand, he says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's an interesting story in the Old Testament. Probably everybody here knows the story. But you remember that Jesus came to, or rather Moses and the children of Israel came to the rock in Horeb, and uh, they needed water. And you remember that Moses is, was instructed by God to take the rod that he had been carrying, and he was instructed to smite the rock, and water would come out. Now, Moses didn't have any idea what that was all about. He just followed orders. And so he did that. He smote the rock. The Bible tells us that in the book of Exodus. And as a result of his obedience and the people's need, the Bible says that God provided the people water from a rock. Now, it's 40 years later. That's an approximate date. It's actually 38 point something months. But uh, about 40 years later, the children of Israel are in an area of the country by the name of Kadesh uh, Bernia. And once again, they're without water. And this time, God says, again, you gather the people together, you take your rod, and you speak to the rock. Now here, Moses spoke and he hid. But here, he's told only to speak. Now, God doesn't explain to Moses why 
that was the case. But you know the story. The Bible says he not only spoke to the rock, but he hit it again. And God's angry. Now why is God so angry? Have you ever wondered why? Moses didn't understand really why, except that God told him what to do, and he went beyond what God said. Better be careful. Sometimes we too go beyond what God says. We think we're better off then when, when we're not like the fellow that doesn't do as much as the Bible says. <laughs> but Moses did more than God said. He did all that God said plus a little more. And he got in big trouble. Now years later, years later, inspiration reveals to us why Moses got in such big trouble. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul said that rock that followed them, now that rock didn't, it wasn't a literal rock that followed them, but in both instances, the water flowed out of the rock, both at Horeb and Kadesh Barnea. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the miracle. And he says the rock that followed them was Jesus. Now Jesus was to be smitten in death one time. He tells us in John the fourth chapter that he was giving living water that would satiate spiritual thirst and give everlasting life. Think about that. The first time they hit the rock, or first time they came to the rock, they smote it. Jesus died one time on the cross. You see, he ruined the picture. When they came the second time to the rock, they were to speak to it, and he hit it. He violated God's will, and he ruined the picture. Because you see, that's the way it is when you're a Christian, when you become a Christian. Jesus died one time, therefore you're baptized one time. You're baptized one time. Now listen to me. We got a problem in the brotherhood. People get their life messed up and they think that they can be rebaptized and fix it. Now it's true that if you took a bath the first time, if you didn't understand what you were doing, now, I can't read your heart. You have to make that decision. It's true that if all you did was take a bath, then you need to be baptized. But it's not really a rebaptism anyway. The point is, you weren't baptized the first time, so you've got to be baptized scripturally. Well, you're baptized one time because Jesus died one time. And then, when you need help again, you ask the rock. That's why John, writing a Christian, says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so, amazingly, when Moses violated the picture, both he and Aaron were forbidden to enter the promised land. You see, there was always consequences to sin, and we, fa we fail to remember that. Now, Moses repented, I know that he repented because God forgave him because when Jesus was on the earth, he did finally enter the promised land. Remember that? 
In Matthew, the 17th chapter, you remember some men appeared with Jesus when he was transfigured on that mountain, and one of them was Moses. Moses is on the inside of the promised land. He'd repented, and someday he's going to go to heaven. But he wasn't allowed to enter Canaan, the type of heaven, because of that sin right there. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You may not always understand why God tells you something. You may not even always agree with what God has said. But that doesn't matter. What matters is God said it. And that settles it. <laughs> and it don't matter what I think. Don't matter what I say. Don't matter what I believe. All that's going to make any difference in the day of judgment is what God has said. And Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Now I've emphasized today in both sermons the importance of the Bible. And you can't walk in the light without the Bible. And if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to be in the light. So you've got to know what this book says. You've got to study it. You've got to absorb it. You've got to comprehend it. You've got to assimilate it in your life. You've got to practice it. You've got to tell it to others. God's called you into his fellowship. Think about that. That's an amazing thought. Me, just old Dwayne. I'm the brother of Jesus Christ. He's called me into fellowship with his father. And now, if I'll stay in fellowship with him, if I'll continue to share the blessings in Christ, then someday I can go to heaven. Now, I don't know the mind set of you today. We've, we're coming close to the meeting. We're fixing to get in our vehicle and lickety split, buddy. We're going to go 70 miles an hour for several days. Maybe when we get to New Mexico and Arizona, we're going to go 75. In fact, no maybes about it. We are. If we decide to go on Interstate 10, we're going to go 80 because that's how fast speed limit is when we get to Texas. We're going home. Well, someday... Someday we're going to go home. Are you ready? Are you ready to go home? Man, I'm, I want to go home. I'm ready. Well, Jesus is coming back. He may come back tonight. It may be tomorrow. It might be 10,000 years. I don't know when he's coming, but I know he will. And if you die in the meantime, or if I pass from this life in the process, then my destiny is set. So we better think about our life tonight. Better think very seriously. We're told in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Are you in the faith today? If you've never obeyed the gospel, we urge you to do that. When Philip went to Samaria and preached Jesus and the things concerning the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says that they believed and they were baptized. In first, uh, or rather in uh, Acts 18, when Paul went to Corinth, he remained there for 18 months. And the Bible says that the Corinthians heard, believed, 
and were baptized. Well, maybe today you've heard sufficiently you're ready to be baptized. If that's the case, believing with all your heart, repent of your past. Change your mind with reference to sin. Repent or perish, Jesus said. Confess him before this audience. Peter said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then be buried with him in baptism. The Bible says that both the preacher and the convert in Acts 8 went down into the water and he was baptized. And they came up out of the water rejoicing. Why? Because baptism will save you. Not because there's power in water, but because that's the plan of God. And when you obey God, he keeps his promises. And all those that obey Jesus is the author of salvation. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Are you ready to obey today? Right now is the time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.